Hi, friends, and welcome to the Good Work Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Leonard, and we are here to ask the question, what does good work mean to you? We'll explore the values that drive us, the tensions we wrestle with, and ultimately how we connect the dots between achievement and fulfillment in our lives. Sound heavy? Nah. Let's lighten up and dive in. Shola Richards, welcome. I am so glad you're here. Every time I get to talk to you, uh, I just have a big smile on my face. I feel like I could jump through the computer screen and just high five you. You have the best energy. I love the way that you walk in the world. We met through a mutual friend and I've loved just seeing your your journey unfold. So thank you so much for being here on the Good Work podcast series. So I'm going to tell you all a little bit about my friend, Shola. Shola Richards is the CEO and founder of Go Together Global. He's the best-selling author of Making Work Work and Go Together. And he is leading a worldwide movement to change the world based on how we treat each other at work. And I think um, one of the things that always makes me smile whenever I see your little bio on the socials, what is it that you call yourself? Kindness, kindness extremist. Yes. Extremist. Kindness <laughs> extremist. That is me. Absolutely. And, and a kindness extremist. And I think those two words are what made me feel like I got to know this person. <laughs> Shola, you have shared your message with Fortune 50 companies, top universities, leading healthcare organizations, the Valley, the Silicon one, the motion picture industry. You've been a TEDx speaker and in your greatest honor to date, in September 21, 2021, you were invited to testify in front of the House of Representatives on Capitol Hill to share your expert recommendations on how to bring more civility to Congress. I mean, clearly that worked out yes. amazingly, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, more on this, but again, we all have to do what we can do and That's then let it fly do. after that. And that That's is right. all we can do. I love that you had the opportunity to confront that challenge. You are also a father, husband, an identical twin. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the the happiest, kindest extremist that I know. Mm-hmm. And you will not rest until bullying and incivility is extinct from the American workplace. And amen to that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's why I'm here. That's what keeps me up at night and wakes me up in the morning. Uh, amazing. Amazing. Well, I'm so excited to dive into this conversation with you and uh, share your insights and perspective with our friends here. So I'd love to start with just how you got started on the path that you are today. I love to start with a good origin story just to help folks get to know you and know kind of what the catalyst was for you doing the work that you do today. Was there a defining moment, a pivot point? Gosh, you know, that's such an interesting question, Leah. I think, first of all, thank you for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. I, I I think there's lots of different touch points that kind of led me to doing this work. The one I talk about the most, which is quite frankly, the most painful aspect of my origin story, I'll just jump straight to it. There's been other touch points, but I, about 20 years ago, I was working in a really toxic work environment. It was awful. And people were really unfriendly and borderline abusive, just really toxic people that made it clear that I was not welcome there. 
they did all sorts of wild things that just to make me feel uncomfortable and awful. And, and <laughs> I've dealt with bad workplaces before, but some of these folks were so untethered from their humanity. It was just strange how you could treat someone so poorly and think it was fun. Long story short, I ended up falling to a very deep depression. And I mean that sincerely, not like, oh, you know, I was so sad how they treated me clinically depressed. It was really, really bad. Yeah. And to make a long story painfully short, one morning I live in Los Angeles and I woke up and I'm like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And I wasn't talking about the job, which is part of it. I was talking about life in general. And I made a decision that morning that I was going to take my own life. And it's always so hard to talk about, but I just to make it super straightforward, I got in my car, drove down the 405 freeway here in Los Angeles, and I attempted to drive my car off the overpass in an attempt to make it look like an accident. And thankfully, the guardrail held and I came back into incoming traffic. And I spent pretty much ever since the moment asking myself this question that would haunt me the rest of my life. Like, what did I do? Like, what would I do? Like, when, when I'm clear about this question, when I say, what did I do? Not what did I do to deserve that? I'm going to ask myself, what did I do to make this better? So for other people who are dealing with this, I can't be the only person on earth who's dealing with the toxic workplace. And then I started researching and realizing there's millions in America and many more millions all over the world. And I just kept asking myself, well, I'll ask myself at the end of my life, what did I do to to fix this? What did I do to make this better for others and for myself? So I quit my job that day with no money in savings. I don't, I don't want to romanticize that. It wasn't like I had like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars and a trust fund I could like lean on. I literally got myself like one of those like predatory loans with like 75% interest. It was bad, like <laughs> oh. really awful. So I could, I was like, screw it. I got to do something. I got to bring some money in. So it was really a tough time for me, but it kind of enlightened the passion to be like, I got to figure this out. I got to yeah. get to the bottom of this and figure out why it's hurting so many people, why people do this and create systems that make it so this stuff can't happen to other people like it happened to me. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, number one, because it can't be easy to talk about. And, you know, what would you what would you say? I'm sure that there's somebody out there who can relate more than they might want to to your story. And what would you say to that person? Well, two things. If they were in a position where they're thinking of taking their life, that's the more extreme aspect of it. I would make sure to be painfully clear to them that there's always hope. And I'm not a suicide expert, but what I can tell you is from the people that I've run into who have suicidal ideations like I had or maybe attempted, there's an absence of hope. That's the thing. There's like, there's nothing that's not going to get better. I need this job. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. At the time, I didn't have kids and I wasn't married. So it was for me to take my own life at the time seemed fine, relatively speaking, because it's not going to really hurt anybody. I know that's just where my brain was, right? But if you're in a position where you have children or you have a mortgage or you have things like, I can't just dip out on life like that. I just challenge people to realize there's always hope. There's a hotline now, thankfully, 988, that you can call to be immediately contacted or talk to someone connected with someone who is a suicide prevention specialist and things of that nature. So I would recommend that. But you don't have to be suicidal to be in a toxic relationship at work. So for those folks that are not quite there, would never consider taking their own life, 
what I would say to them is that life is way too short to spend the majority of your days in a position where it's eroding your mental health, your mental wellness, and your relationships. Mm. And it's it's like, oh, easier said than done. I'm not saying it's easier said than done. I'm speaking from the trenches. I've been there. You get to a point where you have to realize you have to make some really tough decisions. And maybe some of those decisions are, I'm creating boundaries where I'm going to make sure that I go to work. I do the least amount I have to. My full-time job is getting myself out of here. I'm going to figure out how I can, I'm going to be interviewing. I'm going to be looking elsewhere, maybe turning your side hustle into your main hustle, whatever it is. But staying in a position where you're getting hurt and demeaned and quite frankly, slow slide towards death is not how you should be spending your time at work or Mm -hmm. any time outside of work for that matter as well. Mm -mm. And I wonder if if we kind of cling to, I think fundamentally, we're all kind of searching for a sense of security and safety in a world that is fundamentally uncertain. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, our job or our work or our sense of identity associated with our work, any one of those things might having a really tight grip on staying in contexts that may not serve us and therefore may not serve the world and others. Right. Well, we went deep real quick. <laughs> That's how I roll. I was like, it's, <laughs> I'm so funny. I talked to a lot of my friends about this. I was like, I, I don't know, 48 years old. I'm creeping towards halftime if I'm not past it already. <laughs> Who knows? And I, I really get the most richness out of deeper conversations. I mean, I can sit and talk sports with anybody, but it's like, I also want the opportunity to like hopes, fears, insecurities, anxieties, these type of things hide the richness of the human experience. And I want to depth, I want to kind of tap into that while I can. I don't, I have no problem with small talk. I'm not anti-small talk. I think there's certainly time and place for it. I just get a whole lot of juice out of really getting deep. So when you're like, hey, let's jump in, it's like, let's go. We're here. We've got limited yeah. time. Let's why waste any time getting to it? Exactly. Why waste time scratching the surface mm-hmm. um, when that doesn't really light us up or feed us? And That's I love right. that you used the word juice. Someone else that I talked to recently talked about like the juice, like the feeling that you get when you're like, I am alive. Yeah. I am alive and I am connected and I am I am here in the world. Like that's, that's the why juice. we're here. That's dope. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that I want to feel with other people is to have that level of connection. I feel we're in a world that's so surface level because of our phones and our devices. And it's hard for us to go deeper because we're just used to just being, oh, this is boring. Swipe it away. Hey, Alexa, tell me what time it is. Like, you know, so I actually should have said that. She actually is right there. (laughs) She's literally answering me right now. Thank you. And I should not have said her name. But the idea is technology is everywhere. So it's like, how can we find a way to go deeper despite all the barriers screen-wise that might be between us? Right. Uh, well, you certainly have a, a talent for being able to do that, even if we do have to talk through a screen, which <laughs> is not ideal, but I'll take the time. I'll take it as well. I'll get. happily take it. Absolutely. Oh, gosh. Pivoting a little bit here, which it's, it's all interconnected, but you know, you, you have built this go together framework and I would love if you could, for those that might not be familiar with your work, just share a little bit more about where go to how Go Together was born and what it is. Yeah. So Go Together is based on the African proverb that kind of guides a lot of my work. 
is based on if you want to go fast, go alone. Want to go far, go together. And so I found that to be true in almost everything. We there's very little that we can do meaningfully without the help of others. I I, I feel like to go, you can go fast by yourself, but you're not going to go far because you go fast, you're going to burn out. Happens all the time. But to go far to go together. So my framework really is around helping people to be aware. The, the most basic form of this is being aware of how our words and actions affect others mm. and how we can connect to people more meaningfully from a place of empathy, kindness, connectedness, thoughtfulness, and how if we are aware of how our words and actions affect others, that changes how accountable we are. It changes our attitude when we show up to work, changes how we communicate, how we manage conflict, how we build trust and psychological safety, how we recognize others. All these things are part of this beautiful, I guess, like canvas that we get to create if we do it together. It's hard to build structures around accountability if you're only focused on doing it alone. It's hard Mm -hmm. to have the right attitude when you're working with someone who may not be aware of how their words and actions affect others. And so you're going through it alone communicating obviously is more than a one person thing you gotta do it together building trust same thing recognition same thing so a lot of this is around creating some sort of norms and structures around how we do this while maintaining the idea that we have to do this together in order to tap in our to our best work and is that limited to the workplace or do you think that that could fan out into any context I think it can, and it does. So we look at the world now, it's so divided and there's a lot of toxicity and a lot of challenges around that. And I feel like if we're going to get out of this, we're going to have to look at this a little bit differently. The best way to put this, not to nerd out on organizational psychology too much, but the idea nerd is away. Like, <laughs> I'll try. It's Teach like, me things. <laughs> we'll see. Our brains as human beings are wired to be afraid or at least suspicious of things that were not familiar to us. Things are like, oh, that's different. Oh, that's weird. Unsafe. I need to get away. I need to be around things that are familiar, things I understand, things that make me feel comfortable. Mm. So if you see something that's different or someone who's different or someone who loves differently, votes differently, prays different, whatever it may be, there's this instant something's wrong here, unfamiliar, weird, I'm pulling back. Mm -hmm. That's why kindness is the next evolution and step in human evolution. We are now taking our hard wiring of being afraid of things that are different, acknowledging it, but like, okay, okay, I'm getting that normal, primal lizard brain feeling. Right, like I see you lizard brain. Yes, I hear you, you're here, Mm -hmm. you're you're coming. But what I'm gonna do is I'm like, thank you for your feedback. I'm gonna set you aside for a minute because there's no inherent threat here. I want to go in and learn more I want to treat this person with respect. I want to treat them with gentleness. I want to treat them with kindness because of their shared humanity. And that's where the word Ubuntu comes in. Mm. Ubuntu is an African philosophy. That means I am because we are. And it's the height of human compassion, human kindness, and human connectedness. It's like, there's no place where I end and Leah begins. We're just Mm. connected. It's a beautiful way to look at the world, but you're not going to be able to get there without the understanding of kindness, treating people with respect and getting past that lizard brain baseline that we all have. How could I see my shared humanity in you if I don't even acknowledge the fact that you have humanity to begin with? That's where we are right now. So my hope is that getting people to understand kindness is not this soft, weak thing. You could argue that the real weakness is in just 
falling to the default lizard brain that's running around at baseline in our heads. Sure. The real strength is finding a way to overcome that to reach across to find some mutual respect, kindness, and a better way of living. Beautiful. I love that you have made your life's work hmm. around being a proponent of this concept. Yeah, that's what I love. That's why I love people. Gotta do it. Yeah, that's why you do what you do. And if someone wants to learn more about your framework, I'll put this at the end, but if someone wants to learn more about it, where should they go? Oh, yeah. Just go to my website, just sholarichards.com. Super easy to find. Just feel free to jump in. It's all sorts of good stuff there. And my main way of sharing the work that I do now is usually through stages and through speaking events and such. But I'm now currently writing my third book and hopefully there'll be a lot more to come. Fingers crossed 2024 all goes smoothly with the universe. But yeah, (laughs) for now, if you're ever, anyone's ever interested, just go to my website. Everything's there, shoulderriches.com. Beautiful. All right. Backing back up to Mm -hmm. our conversation, because I really should just do that part at the end. But since we were talking about it. Sure. So from that kind of transition point of realizing you needed to do something different and you knew you couldn't stay working where you were working, doing what you were doing, it was not healthy for you. How did you know what your next right thing was? Is there Uh, something that you can point to and say, you know what, that's what I did, or that's how I felt or that like, how did you know, this is my next right thing to do? Yeah, for me, because I didn't have experience, I didn't have any understanding of how to build a business. I didn't go from suicidal on the side of the road to like, I'm going to build a speaking career. So for me, it was really a string of next right steps. And a lot of that was guided and informed by curiosity. So Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, depressed. I had just no money, no job prospects and an idea of how to fix the world and try to make it kinder. And I was like, you know, what is something that I'm curious about? Like, I'm curious how many people out there are dealing with this type of stuff. And so I looked and did my research and like, wow, there's a lot of people. Well, what's being done to help these people? Mm -hmm. And like, they can go to their human resources department and it can do. And I was like, is this stuff actually working? And a lot of people were saying no. So I'm going down and just following my curiosity. My curiosity, this goes for anything. If you're stuck and you don't know where to go, just lean towards like, what makes you, what are you curious about? Hmm. Not to be jumping, oh man, I got to have this deep burning passion. Because I think that makes things so hard for people. Like I don't have anything that I'm passionate about. So I don't, so I guess I'm weird or broken or not. No, just follow your curiosity. So for me, it's like, Mm -hmm. I got to figure out why people are dealing with this. Why do people do this in the workplace? What's actually there to help support them? Is there anything out there to to support them? If there isn't, why aren't we building it? Why aren't we doing something? And why aren't we speaking up about it? So the curiosity, those steps finally led me to a place where I was like, I'm going to start a blog. And, you know, this is back in like, I don't know, 20, at this point, this is years after my suicide attempt. So like, probably like, early 2010s or something like that around there. This is not like from that dark time to the point of arrival where you felt like something actually clicked. It's not like that happened in a week. No, years, years, years. Because I think part of it, you have to kind of get to a place where you're feeling like 
do I, should I, do I, am I worthy of this? Do I belong here? I'm an imposter. Why would anyone believe me? I'm no education in this stuff. Why, who, no qualifications, like give me a break. So all these things kind of were hitting mm. me was I was in, and kept me from doing the work. I'm like, why am I not postable? What if my new, at this point I had a new job. Like what if sure. my new colleagues read this? And what if they're like, all these different things that were just so really tormented me, quite frankly. Mm. So I just like, until one day I was like, screw it. I got to do this. I can't have this song left inside of me. I just got to let it out. And, yeah. you know, I shared my ideas and they weren't like perfectly curated or formed or thought through, but it was enough that I was just like, people need to be stopped. People need to stop being rude to each other in the workplace. People need to stop being jerks. And that resonated with quite a bit of people. And then I started refining my language and getting a little bit better and more thoughtful. And then it kind of started to build from there, but it all started with this next right thing idea that was informed by curiosity. And I I love talking to people about their kind of season of struggle when it seemingly seemed like this is, you know, I don't even know where this is going, but you had this desire to make the world a kinder place, right? Which is, that's a big, broad, that's a big goal, right? For sure. And for some people, I know that, you know, sometimes for me, for some of the projects that I've kind of followed my curiosity on, if I started with thinking, I, my goal is to change the world. Gosh. (laughs) I mean, talk about paralysis, you know, I... I would never have started. And so I love your advice of just finding your curiosity and kind of finding that spark and following that breadcrumb and then seeing what comes after that. And then what comes after that? I couldn't agree more. I also think it's this, what I'm about to say may sound counterintuitive, but it's also not also doing this work to help others. And I know this sounds Mm -hmm. really strange, I found that for a lot of people, when that's your goal to like, I want to help as many people as possible, mm-hmm. what ends up happening is some of the people are like, oh, but I don't know if I want the help in this way. <laughs> what could be way more powerful is finding a way to do this in a way that's really helping heal yourself. And then by doing so, it's amazing how that helps other people almost just by the fact that you're doing it. So I'm still in the process of trying to heal a lot of broken parts inside of me. Yeah. And I share that publicly when I talk about my suicide attempt, when I talk about my my fears and anxieties just around, you know, being black in America or just having, you know, challenges at work or whatever it may be. I'm working through those. And I find that like when I'm open with myself and sharing these things, it's helpful to others. But if I was like, I need to find what is the number one thing that's really tormenting people. And I'm going to, it's weird. It doesn't, I'm not saying that some folks can't do that. Well, I I find though, that you come from a deeper place of authenticity. If you're not like trying to shape shift to be the type of person that's going to fit this niche. I'm just like, Hey, I'm an open book. I'm going to share some of the things I'm going through. And I think the relatability to that allows Mm -hmm. people to get the help that they need instead of just like, I'm going to help people. I don't know if this is my passion or my best skill set, but I'm just going to find a way to help people. Sometimes it kind of falls flat. I can relate so much. And I struggle with this sometimes um, as a parent, where Mm -hmm. sometimes as a, you know, as a parent, we feel like I'm supposed to know all of the things. And then my job is to guide you and teach you the things. I'm like, I actually 
you know, in order to actually connect with my kids, and I'm just using this as an example because it's on my mind, it's we're recording this during back to school week. And yep, right before we, we hopped on, we were talking about, you know, <laughs> how how much changes in the next couple of years between the ages that my kids are and the ages that your kids are. Mm-hmm. And I find that, you know, in order to actually connect with my kids, I need to share that I struggled with these same things and that I have not arrived. Yes. And that I also feel these big feelings, or I also struggle with, you know, anxiety, or I had a nice chat with my son last night about ADHD. And I was like, well, bud, I know I said I would come back into your room and check on you after 10 minutes, but you know, I didn't set a timer and I have no sense of time. And he was like, me neither. I was like, yeah, well, who do you think you got that from? <laughs> See, <laughs> you're there welcome. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. There but we is. have to just, yeah, we have to share and, and know ourselves. And the more we know, the more we know ourselves, I'll only speak for myself. The more I feel that I know myself, the more I can connect with others. And from that connection point, then the good ideas tend to, they tend to show themselves rather than needing to be hunted down with, you know, lots of weaponry. I couldn't agree more. And I I feel like one thing that's also freeing is just this concept or idea, like none of us know what we're doing. I mean, we're all just, (laughs) we're all, I mean, it's like, we're all trying to figure this out as we go. And I think what's so tough is that we look at we have social media, we have media, total like TV or any other print media or whatever it may be, giving us these ideas that there literally are people who have this figured out. And we're the weird ones who don't. And it's like, I, in my work, I found yeah. like so many people are like, I'm like, I feel like I struggle with imposter syndrome. I have all sorts of challenges when I do this type of work. Yeah. And they're like, oh, me too. And it's like, so when I share authentically, I feel like I'm more in a position to be helpful. Mm-hmm. When I see folks that are trying to create the persona that they know it all and they got it figured out, yeah. not surprisingly, they have a harder time connecting. And I'm speaking from experience because when I first started this, I thought that's who I need to be. In order to get the respect of this audience, I got to show them that I know all sorts of stuff and there's no fears or no insecurities. And clearly my message didn't resonate. I was like, no one wants to hear from that person. I I, mm. should, I mean, it's like, would I want to hear from that person? No. So that's why I started leaning to more authenticity, just kind of about how I can work on sharing things that I'm working on myself. Yeah. So to give a real level of hopefully relatability that I have with the people listening to me, knowing that we're in the same boat together, going to the same stuff. I sure hope so. Um, that's certainly how, you know, this project was born was, my own curiosity about these questions that we all ask our, ask ourselves and kind of wrestle with of what does it mean to do good? What does it mean to do good work? Mm-hmm. You know, am I doing enough? Am I enough? Right. All of the things that are so intertwined and tangled when we um, ask those questions. And then even more so when we try to actually implement, you know, something that is meant to action some of those values. Um, it can get really messy and it often just makes us, you know, hold a mirror up to whatever is going on inside of us. And so I, I certainly wanted to have some of these conversations to explore some of the things that I have been thinking about and wrestling with and, and really considering lately. So 
Thank right you. There with, right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> right there with you. Speaking of those two loaded words, what what does good work when I say good work, Shola, or just good work? You're doing such good work in the world. What do those words mean to you? What does it bring up? Anything goes. Yeah, for me, when I think of good work is is doing something to make the world a better place and a more connected place, a more, a kinder place, a more understanding place. You know, it's interesting because it, it, it almost sounds like a contradiction. Like, you know, don't focus on helping others. Just talk about yourself. The goal, I want to be super clear, the goal in the end is to help others. That's the goal. But right. it's like, it's kind of like a means to an end. It's not the, I mean, it's the end to get to the point of I'm helping people. But when you're mm-hmm. focusing on, how can I be helpful? Sometimes it falls flat. That's what I want to yeah. clarify that. But also when it comes to good work, it's making the world a better place. Because I mean, in the end, I want to help as many people as possible. So whether it's being kind to people, whether it is giving people tools to be able to honor their mental health struggles and to give them tools so that, to recognize that they're in a dark place and to give them tools that can hopefully get them out of it, recognizing when they're in an environment that's toxic, helping people to create psychologically safe work environments where they can speak up and share what's going on. All these things I'm hoping are good work Mm. because it's giving people the opportunity to live a better life than they did previously if they had this information and put it into action. And also good work could just be something small. It doesn't have to be something big, like a big presentation or a big book you're writing. It's like, if you see someone who's struggling be what I like to call an upstander. When I see sometimes people are where there's people being abusive or rude to some, I just saw a situation that was really interesting. I travel a lot mm-hmm. and I was in an airport that I can't remember which one. And someone, one of the passengers being really rude to the gate agent about something. I have no idea what the situation was, but it was, it was over the top. He was cursing at her. And it's just like, yeah. I, I, I get you're upset about something, but like, the way he was taught, he was a bigger guy and and she was a smaller woman. It was just inappropriate. Yeah. And the whole airport was kind of stopping and I was pretty far away, but I could see the yelling, but I did see one woman go up and stand next, not in an airline employee, but an yeah, actual that's passenger that's... stand next to the woman who was being yelled at. And was like, you need to stop yelling at her. Enough is enough. And Wow. Just stood next to her. And, you know, and then other people kind of said, yeah, man, come on back down, man, or whatever. And I, I found it interesting. Like, wow, this person actually stood up. This person took the, the path less traveled. Mm-hmm. You just put on your over-the-ear headphones and not hear a thing and just wait for your flight to be called. I feel like those are opportunities where we get to make the world a better place. It's the courage to do those things, but also the folks who got to be around and viewing this actually saw that and we're engaged to help and support and be there to be an example of the right thing to do Mm. and uh maybe most importantly we'll see maybe that person who started yelling will have a moment of self-reflection or not i don't know but these are good these are things of good work it's it doesn't have to be something huge it could be literally something picking up a piece of trash that's on the ground and, and, and putting it into the trash can, you literally made that city better than you found it. It's these type of things that are all good work. And I find that when we overcomplicate things and feel like good work has to be something like curing cancer or mapping the human genome or world peace. And like these things are not, those are wonderful. Yeah. We're not going to get to those amazing outcomes. We don't just start in a really granular place. What is it that you can do with what you have from where you are? Mm. 
that's how we get to make this real change that's positive and helpful. And quite frankly, I think just honoring our shared humanity. That's what we need to get to. That's how we do good work. And do it together. And Always. go together. Yeah, there it is. Always together. <laughs> Always together. And do it together. Mm-hmm. I'm going to think of that next time I notice myself as a bystander. I'm going to think about how could I be a an upstander rather mm-hmm. than a bystander? It's big. But I mean, and I also want to honor the folks who are like, it's scary to do that. And I, I don't know what type of situation this person is. And could I put myself at risk? Right. I completely understand that. So there's other ways to be an upstander than doing what, the, the, what that woman did in the airport. You could have, after this gentleman was done screaming at this woman at the airport and stormed off and whatever, you could walk up to the woman afterward and the, fight, the gate agent and be like, hey, listen, I saw what happened and that was awful. I just want to make sure you're okay. Are you good? I'm so sorry. I didn't feel safe going over during that situation. So I just want to let you know, but I want to let you know, I'm fully with you. And I just want to make sure you're okay. Yeah, That's a lower risk move to do that. But at the same time, you're also doing the good work of letting this person know that she's not alone. This is what it means to go together. It's these small things that have an enormous impact. When I was dealing with my horrible situation at workplace, like 20 plus years ago, however long ago it was, no one came to my aid. Like I, people saw what was going on, I would assume. And so that's why I always lean into being an upstander. Like if you see something that's happening, if you don't feel safe to interrupt it in the moment, which I completely understand because there's so many different situations where it might not be safe. Yeah. At the least, can you just check on the person who was the target and make sure that they're okay? That's really all I'm looking for. That could be it. I love that. And I think it's so important to put it in such plain terms because there are so many people who want to build frameworks and and work on, you know, and work on these, these issues, particularly bullying, toxic workplaces. And sometimes the, the language and the, you know, methodology around it all can get so complicated and academic and, it can really actually make it harder for an everyday person to engage with these ideas. And when we boil it down, I think you said it so so clearly, we're just asking you to be more of an upstander and less of a bystander. That's it. Um, and there's and so, everyone can relate to that. I would hope so. I mean, it's like, it, and it doesn't, whatever it is, like if if you want to boil it down to its most like micro level, it's just, Commit to leaving every single thing you touch and every one you touch just a little bit better than you found it, then you're doing good work. Mm. If you're doing that, then that's really all it comes down to. That is what good work looks like in the world. And if more people did it, we would have a much better world than the one we're currently living in. Well, amen to that. <laughs> is there anything that if I if I were in a room working with you or if I were seated in an audience listening to you speak, or if I were cracking open your favorite part of one of the books that you've written. Is there, is there one thing that you might teach our listeners or, or help them learn that they could go and implement in their workplace or in their, in their life that you think they could take away? Yeah. I think one thing, if it could be one thing, I, it's just the concept of when you see bad behavior in the world, I often talk about one of the things that could possibly help us get there. We talked about curiosity before, mm. but to go a little bit deeper with that is to remain in curiosity and stay out of judgment as much as possible. 
And the one thing I could hopefully teach that could be useful on this idea is that whenever you see bad behavior in the world and there it's everywhere so it's not going to be too hard to find so <laughs> unfortunately. unfortunately it's around or even behavior that we perceive to be bad or behavior that we just don't understand yeah. the one thing that i often remind people of is all bad behavior is simply an unskilled expression of an unmet need and I, it's Kind of Say that again for the I will. folks in the back. Yeah, for sure. All bad behavior is simply an unskilled expression of an unmet need. So we're all kind of, you know, we're searching for meaning. We're searching for ways to get our needs met. And sometimes when our needs for validation or feeling important or feeling safe or feeling secure or whatever it could be, we're not getting that need met. Mm. We don't have the tools or the capacity to address that need in a thoughtful, mature, following social norms type of way, it could manifest in a way that's not very positive and not very helpful and certainly not very civil. So I find that, and that goes back to kind of ironically or coincidentally back to that person in the airport. I have no idea what he was yelling about. I have no clue, Hmm. but something, he had a need in his head that wasn't being met And if he doesn't have the tools of emotional regulation or self-awareness or what have you, it just bubbled over in that moment and a need that he wanted met. Maybe it's like, you don't understand how much I need to get home or you don't understand how do you not know who I am type of person. Maybe that's the real, who knows, but whatever it was, it wasn't being met. And it unfortunately displayed itself in some really unnecessarily awful behavior from my vantage point. Mm. But it does allow me to lean into curiosity instead of me just, what an idiot. Oh, right. What's wrong with this guy? I mean. Which is squarely we, in the judgment zone. Oh, sure. And yeah. and not, and, and but if you're able, and I'm, I'm not saying that like I'm perfect, but I, I just, I always want to have caveats. I str- this, I'm sharing the stuff that I struggle with as well. So what I try to do is pull myself back a little bit and just ask myself like, what else could be going on here? Because curiosity gives you an opportunity to get closer to a solution, whereas judgment shuts it down. He's an idiot. Conversation's over. Jury has ruled. It's done, right? right? But right. curiosity is like, maybe there's more to the story. Uh, I'll give you an example of this because this actually happened relatively recently. Hmm. I was giving um, a talk and there's a gentleman who was seated kind of near the front and he was sitting there and he has had his head in his hands like, as I'm sharing points, just like, mm. and eventually you just put his head on the desk, just like on the table and, in front. And of for him. those that are listening and watching you, like, oh yes, I'm your, literally acting this out, <laughs> and, like your head down, like palm to the forehead, yes, just like absolute. I would call that, you know, yes, dejection just and, looked dejected, yeah. disgusted, did not yeah. want to be there, like that type of look. Mm-hmm. And I had a story in my head, right? So I was like. And I went to a place of judgment. This guy doesn't like me. Why is he here? Why would he show up to a talk? I mean, all these types of stories. Anyway, after the talk was over, usually there's like folks, the, the attendees want to come and speak to the speaker and have conversations and share their takeaways and all that fun stuff, which I love. Yeah. He was in line. And I was like, I already had a story. Like, oh man, he's going to tell me how much he hated my talk. He came up as like, listen, I deal with chronic migraines and I thought I had it covered and it just hit me right before you started sharing your, your you started your talk. I was really enjoying what you were saying and I didn't want to leave 
So I had to kind of fight through it, but it was so awful that I had to put my head down on the desk. So I would not see all like the lights from the ballroom and everything. I just had to just kind of close my eyes a little bit. I apologize if that was disruptive or anything, but I really enjoyed your talk. And just, I'm having one of those killer headaches right now. I'm so glad that happened because it's such a wake up call. Like we have these stories, these judgments. Oh, these people are criminals. These people are lazy. These people are dumb. These people are, all these different judgments that we make so quickly because we got to make sense of the world to make it easier for us to get through it. Mm-hmm. But if we could just lean into curiosity, I could have, I mean, what if he didn't stand in line? What if he didn't share that with me? I would have left with a, a, a story about this gentleman that was completely inaccurate. Yeah. So I do try to, whenever I can, to lean into curiosity as a way to remind myself of these things and not to jump so quickly into judgment and to also understand the behavior that we sometimes don't understand. It could be an un, it could be an unskilled expression of an unmet need. And that's something that kind of drives me consistently. And that's something I'd like to share with the audience as a way to kind of remember when you can into curiosity instead of just jumping straight to judgment it is a powerful way to kind of reset your brain mm-hmm. and it's way harder than it looks but it can yield amazing amazing results amazing shola richards i could talk to you all day thank you so much for sharing your insights your perspective your energy your joy i have enjoyed this so much thank likewise you so much for thank being you here. leah Aww. And if folks want to connect with you, where should they go? We'll do it once more. Yeah, the easiest way to do it is if you happen to just go to my website. It's just sholarichards.com, S like Sam, H-O-L-A, Richards, plural, dot com. You'll find me and I'm on all my social channels are there. You'll be able to find me easily if you want to find me on social or shoot me a message. Amazing. Shola, thank you so much. So welcome. Thank you, Leah. Thanks for listening, friends. I'd love for you to join this conversation and hear your perspective too. To connect with us, head over to leahleonard.me and way to go. Good work. 